Hi, welcome to Literally, a podcast about teaching literature. I'm Margaret Monk. And I'm Paige Wallace. And today we're talking about literary motherhood, which is different than real life motherhood. <laughs> uh, Some similarities, but... Yeah, different... I guess I'm, I'm saying that it's different in that while we might touch on what it's like, well, you would touch on this because I can't speak to it, but balancing like a career and parenthood, that's not the primary focus of what we're talking about. Like, I feel like most of the conversations about mothers in universities are mothers who work at universities and not how we teach about motherhood and the representation of motherhoods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, I clarify that at the top. Like, yeah, why why don't we have more conversations about mothers in literature classes, and why should we be having these conversations? Yeah, and I think we don't have enough conversations about mothers in institutions, especially mm-hmm. higher ed and, and academia. And so I, I told you, Margaret, beforehand that I have this book that our friend Emily sent us that I'm showing on the screen, but you guys can't see it because, you know, <laughs> um, but it's by Vanitha Pillay. It's uh, a few years old, actually like 10 years old. So, um, but it, it's about her experience as a mother in academia. And so that's a little bit different than what we're going to be talking about. But I did want to start with that because I am a mom, um, like, I've had kids for the entire, like, sort of entirety of my graduate career. Um, I've had kids, like, so what I mean is that, like, I had, my oldest daughter um, was two when I started my master's, and then um, I had Mia, my youngest, when she, when I was finishing up, like, wrapping up my master's, right, and so they were obviously very young during my entire PhD, Um, and looking back on it, I'm like, there were no resources. Uh, yeah. And there were, there should have been, um, even in the sense of like, just having <coughs> some community resources, like people that were moms um, doing the same thing or dads mm-hmm. too, um, even though, you know, it impacts dads differently. Um, yeah. and I stand by that. Um, but yeah, there's studies to back up, but studies to back up that. Yeah. And so there's this quote and it says, I wrote this book, um, mindful of the question asked by a colleague who mentored the study. He wanted to know whether I was a freak for bringing my motherhood into academic thinking in the ways that I did and for not feeling noticeably perturbed about having to be both academic and mother. And then after all this time in writing, I can say that I'm not a freak. And I find that a really interesting quote because it's, it gives off the perception that when we bring motherhood into the sphere of like our academic life, we're doing that in a way that's personal mm-hmm. and different than how we approach scholarship always. And it's just like, but it's not different, right? People are study the things that they're interested in, that they have some sort of personal connection with. And like, okay. And like with that, I've told you this before, but I study motherhood, as you know, my dissertation was on uh, motherhood and modernism, the amount of conferences I attended in the pre-pandemic times, where people afterwards would ask me how many kids I had, and were surprised when I said zero, where the implication was, then why are you talking about motherhood if you are not a mother? 
but I don't think people who study like the depiction of war in modernist texts are being asked afterwards like so where did you serve yeah which, which war, war were you in yeah you, you must be a vet if you're talking about war in literature yeah. um and so it's like and, never in like you can't win right like you're either studying it because it's because you are a mom mm-hmm. there's an assumption that you're studying because you are a mom and there there's something like less professional about that or you're studying it and you're not a mom so why would you do that yeah, and I just think it's because we still see culturally we don't take mothers seriously. So the topic of motherhood is not taken seriously as a professional interest where you must either have a total personal stake where you can't separate your personal life from your professional life or you're not a serious academic. And I know that my students would enter my women in lit class and when, when I told them like we'd be focusing on mothers, at the end of the semester, they would write in their reflections like, I thought this class was going to be dumb because we were talking about mothers and like blah, blah, blah. Um, Sometimes they would say they apologized to their own mothers afterwards. (laughs) Like, I'm so sorry that I dismissed you. (laughs) Like, but it would be by the end of the semester, like, oh, there's a lot to unpack here because when we study mothers, motherhood as an identity, we're able to start to examine the intersections of gender, class, race, religion, um geography like all of it um and really track the way the female identity has evolved but also is still tied to motherhood in ways like we were talking before we started recording today that um we still expect women to have a quote-unquote valid reason for not wanting to be a mother um or and we judge people's people's femininity by how well they perform motherhood um and so I think it allows us to really dive into the human experience like we all have a vested interest in the way motherhood is shaped yeah and like thinking about like that human experience is always impacted by a mother figure even if it's the absence of a mother figure think about how many novels we have about that absence of the mother figure Mm -hmm. and that longing for a mother so it feels like a big hole that isn't being filled as much as it should be I think it's been reduced in a lot of ways I'm gonna blame Freud not it's obviously not solely his fault I mean it's fine (laughs) yeah but that like concern that. that like all of an individual psychological traumas and whatnot can be like linked back to the mother we started seeing the mother as like in literature I'm gonna say I'm moving away from cultural but in literature I think the mother is often interpreted as the obstacle protagonists have to break free from she's the symbol of repression oppression tradition conservatism and so for the protagonist or the characters to evolve they have to break free of the mother and so we get into this routine of seeing literary mothers as either antagonistic at worst like the evil stepmother or at best something that has to be rejected and there's so much more happening than that and so yeah I'm, I'm starting to ramble because I'm getting excited for today no, I think no, that this no, might no, be a problem no, <laughs> today I'm like and so Margaret you did your women in lit with the theme of motherhood. 
Yeah. Right. Okay. And so tell us what your objectives were. My objectives for when I was teaching women in lit through the lens of motherhood were in my syllabus somewhat basic. Um, I was adapting from like prior women in lit syllabi. So I had compare and interpret a variety of intellectual artistic works within their cultural milieu. Basically, how does this content reflect the context in which it was created? They were going to write, uh, create an original project that reflected the course. Um, and they were going to compare, interpret, or model cultural artifacts to examine and challenge constructed identities. And that's sort of where I got into those intersects where I really wanted to emphasize that motherhood is this really complicated identity for men and women. Um, it, I think it affects men as well, just like in different ways, obviously, but that by examining motherhood, it allows us to explore that these intersections affect women's experiences and it helps us consider the different cultural, political, and economic influences on women's lives and how that then that is reflected in the cultural text. Mm. And it starts to form this relationship, right? That the culture is forming the text, but then the texts are informing the culture. And so seeing that back and forth of the evolution, how one is informing the others and allowed us to talk about things like, uh, like, obviously, women's professional and personal roles, but also female sexuality, women's health, eugenics, um, bodily agency, um, religion, all sorts of things. And my students had really, really smart conversations. And so I wanted to use motherhood to break the myth that there's this sort of like female monolith of like, when we talk about the female identity in literature, like, what does that mean? <laughs> so um, it kind of worked nicely that we, most people have this idea of what a mother is. And that's actually what I started, how I started the class was my students would all write their definition of a mother. And I would use their definitions, they did not know this at the time, to create a word cloud. I would use the, the words that, uh, to generate a word cloud. And then at the end of the semester, I had them respond to that same question. And I would make another word cloud. And on the last day, we would look at the differences between the two. Yes. Um, and so how, how did those words change? Um, what words appeared that disappeared? And what words weren't originally there that now were? One of the words that always comes up in the first round is selfless and that word disappears that they know that they're like nope <laughs> no, like let's move away from that and like nurturing changes um to like mentoring like there's they were shifts like that um but yeah it, there it was it was an interesting way to see how their realization of there's no one maternal identity there's no one female identity and I like I, that you mentioned those two words specifically um selfless and nurturing because both of those I feel like require like an erasure of the self or sacrifice of the self to to sort of give oneself up or to um I'm thinking like in a very like sort of physical like providing like 
sustenance for your children at, you know, um, sometimes at the expense of yourself. And so yeah. the, the idea that those words shift and that you, we move from something like nurturing to mentor uh, or mentorship is, is a recognition of like mothers as human beings outside of just their roles and relationship to their children. Yeah. So I want to show you because I pulled up the word cloud. So let me, I think obviously you'll be able to see a page, no one at home, but the first one, you should put it on the Instagram. Yeah, I will. Oh, that's smart. I will. Um, So the biggest ones are caring, loving, providing. um, And that's in the first one. And in the second one, there's no more like huge words because they were all coming up with such a range of vocabulary. But the biggest ones are consent, individual, Um, There is providing, but we talked about how they use providing very differently than they did the first round. Like um, at the end of the semester, they talk about like providing to their individual strengths versus (laughs) providing an unending (laughs) support. Right. Um, They included words that weren't in the first one, like non-biological, analytical, present. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think that's a good way that we are in a field that is hard to have qualitative data for what our students learn. And obviously this doesn't give me like a percentage of how much they learn, but it is a nice way I think to show our students their progress over 16 weeks. This is how um, your thinking has changed. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. So yeah, my objectives were really into looking at the connection between culture and society in creating identities that Mm -hmm. then become potentially restraining, potentially liberating. And and how do we start to figure it all out? Students are apprehensive at first. They think it's going to be me telling them that they should be mothers. I've been told that like, oh, I thought this was going to be a course on like how to be a mother, why I should be a mother, why women should be mothers. no, yeah. not that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, definitely not that. Well, it wouldn't be the opposite either. It wouldn't be a course where you yeah. tell people not to be mothers or why they shouldn't be mothers, right? It can't be either of those yeah. things. And I think that's the thing is that our, our cultural conversations surrounding motherhood have become so prescriptive. This is what you should do. This is what you should not do. Yeah. That it's then the expectation is it's going to be the same in the classroom when discussing motherhood. We are going to be talking about good moms and bad moms. We aren't talking about that. We're talking about characters. <laughs> My objective for this kind of class would be that ideal image of the mother um, and how to like, not just how to critique it, but why we should critique it, right? Because that mm-hmm. ideal image has a history in again, like our cultural sort of mind's eye of being white, of being middle-class, of being um, heterosexual, of being all these very set things. Able-bodied, Christian, upper middle-class. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're different versions of motherhood and that that ideal is restricting. You might be interested in this collection it's called bad mothers the politics of blame in 20th century america and it was edited by molly lad taylor and laurie umansky okay and it traces it's um it's in chronological order but the different kind of ways mothers have been idealized and i know like the beginning they look it's it's not literature focused it's interdisciplinary and it's really interesting and like one of the first chapters it's looking at the uh social workers case 
case files from the early 20th century and the way they examine the same situations in different households according to race. So a working Black mother is documented as neglectful, right. whereas the white working mother was documented as like hardworking and providing for her family. And, there, and there's some literature that you could pair with that. Like even yeah. thinking about... Richard Wright's native son and and the mother in that which we only get like a sort of short glimpse at but Mm -hmm. and I mean the most obvious one would be right now contemporary would be little fires everywhere yeah because those are two moms that are you know different races different class positions different family structures right one's a single mom one is in a secure marriage and those ideas of the ideal mother and how one is weaponizing mm-hmm. or maybe one is weaponizing her image like her idea of being an ideal mother and the other is justifying that she doesn't fit the mold but so yeah, she's much- idealizing her rebellion or her yeah, like rejection yeah, exactly so much so that she can't see like where she's not a good mom too right so those two are interesting as well yeah and I think like what other texts do you think you would teach for motherhood what would be some of your essential well I would definitely teach of woman born Mm. Adrian Rich and I I was thinking a lot before we started this talk if I would teach that whole book and I think that I would I I might break it up and use it Mm -hmm. like throughout and it was it'd be something that I'd have to revisit again but I think that I would use that as sort of like a theoretical framework because it's her her journey and like her experience Mm -hmm. at a time when she's really trying to be that ideal mother right in quotes Mm -hmm. and it's just failing for her over and over again and I think that that feeling is one that is relatable, even if it's not to motherhood specifically, because we have students that are young, right? And and we yeah. have a handful that are already mothers, but we also have students that are young and we have students that, you know, aren't ever going to be mothers for various reasons. And so this idea of like trying to fit an ideal that isn't working for you, I think students can relate to. And even more so trying to fit an ideal and realizing it's not working for you and not knowing where to go next. Yeah. And so like, I know that I'd use rich and of woman born throughout. And I think that I would have more of a contemporary spin. This is not surprising for anyone (laughs) that's coming from me, but I'd want to teach little fires everywhere and probably use the Hulu adaptation, which would, Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know if that maybe would help me structure the rest of the class. If I did like a handmaid's tale yeah, at the Atwood adaptation of that. And so I, I don't know how I would do that, but I know that I would also show like some images of like June Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver early on in that class mm-hmm. to sort of interrogate that image of the, the, the ideal mother and the problems with that. And think I would want to talk about maybe Beasts of the Southern Wild and Salvage the Bones because there's that longing for the mother in both of them. And that has to do with like the idea of the ideal and and the loss of that mother, but to be mothered by others, to be mothered by like your community, to be mothered by your your siblings, right? And so that expanded idea of others, that's kind of a rambling of thoughts. But I know that eventually I'd want this class to end with talking about mommy blocks and mom influencers. So I did a, I worked with undergrads on a a research project with mommy blogs for a little while. 
And I think that the point of that ending with that unit would be in so many ways, we've moved away from the ideal mother, but also in so many ways we've moved close, like we've embraced mm-hmm. that more and more with these sort of like curated versions of motherhood that yeah. go on the internet or that Can live- women have it all. Yes. And if you don't, it's because you're doing something wrong. Right. And how they, and, and how they live in these spaces on the internet. Um, and the contention between those curate, those curated, like perfect mother kind of narratives, and then those curated rebellious, like I don't fit the mold. My, you know, I'm going to play terrible jokes on my kids on YouTube because I don't, I don't fit the mm-hmm. perfect mother mold. And it's almost like there's this weird tension between the two that is captured, I think, with little fires everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But I also have on my list, like beloved, right? I, I think mm-hmm. that again, like that idea of the ideal mother who's allowed to be an ideal mother. Um, and Setha can't even think about being a perfect mother because she's just thinking about surviving and, and, and the state of like bondage, right. For her children. Well, the tension between the ideal and the reality of like, Setha isn't like, first and foremost, she's not allowed to be a mother because a, a slave an enslaved person can't mother because their children are property. So how do you mother when your children aren't human beings? Right. And that sort of tension, which I think also is something really important to include in these conversations that I think a lot of times discussions about modern motherhood devolve into this like pro-life, pro-choice divide where people either, and this is not to say this is what the conversation actually is, but people often understand it as either like you either want to be a mother or you're fighting for the right to not be a mother. But there's a lot of people who've been fighting for the right to be a mother. It's not just a matter of opting out or not wanting to fit the idealized version, but just wanting to be allowed to mother on your terms, period. Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me of the book we just read for book club, uh, The Seventh Mansion, would mm-hmm. also be an interesting sort of mm-hmm. study of motherhood. The, there's that very quick scene of the tutor getting an abortion mm-hmm. and then the the mother dynamics there. I think that novel is also about the question of like, who has the right to mother or not the right, but. There's a lot of ethical questions there because it's a novel that's grappling with what is the right way to live. Mm-hmm. And because the protagonist is a teenager, there's, there's the idea that someone should be teaching him. Like, I don't think he's necessarily, well, no, he is because he's working with a tutor, like, yeah, the absent parents. So this, there's this idea of like who should be the guy to tell someone, and, and the mother's pre- presented as this antagonist. And I've been thinking about whether or not she is, because really she just wants him to be able to survive. But because her ethics are not an extreme, he sees them as diluted and corrupted. Yes, exactly. Thank you. You you took that idea that I wrestling <laughs> idea I had and like nailed it down. And I think then there are these questions about, again, we said we wanted to get away from like good versus bad mother, but like questions of like, what if the way you learn about the world isn't coming from your mother or shouldn't Mm -hmm. come from your mother? Yeah. And I think there's, so in my class, we talked a lot about other mothers, like what are the other mothers that exist? And we talked about that with um, t- some of Tony Morrison's work. So some semesters I taught a uh, song of Solomon to talk about other mothers and Hagar is another mother, but 
other semesters I did Gail Jones's Corregidora, which if anyone has ever talked to me about literature for more than five minutes, I can't help but bringing it up. I know. I think, we should just rename this podcast Corregidora. Yeah, yeah Corregidora. <laughs> Why <laughs> Margaret wants to talk about it more. Um, we, we also talked about it with earlier works um, like Elizabeth Bowen's House in Paris, where there's an adoption that takes place. And the son who is adopted is rejecting his adoptive parents. He wants to be with his biological mother. And the novel presents that like her as his real mom. And I, we talk about with my students, like kind of this, the problematic nature of this. And like, what, what do we, how do we, what are our narratives of adoption when it comes to motherhood or, or non-biological mothers? What does that look like when we talk about like um, Lisa Coe's The the Leavers, there's adoption too with these um, narratives and it really, there's no right answer. So we were looking at these, these novels to talk about the question isn't just then like idealized mother or evil mother, but what are the modes of motherhood? How do these modes evolve? What modes are effective or ineffective, healthy or unhealthy, but also how one mode of motherhood might be effective in one scenario and ineffective in another. So you might have cases where the adopted child is going to reject the adoptive parents, but that, and that's not a problem until that becomes the only narrative we get. And that's kind of the issue with literary mothers is that for so long, there was one way of writing mothers, the Marmy March of Little Women, that gentle, passive, never angry, and, when a mother deviates from that in literature, she's considered the villain. Right. Um, and, and so how do we then start to complicate these narratives so we get more representation, more voices, more modes? Yes, and I think uh, another thing I was thinking, like another thing that came up when you were talking about these different modes of motherhood was the examination of labor and motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Adrian Rich is talking about that in Of Woman Born, but if we bring that forward, we might also think about the politics of things like surrogacy. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know off the top of my head, like any novels that I would use. Rosemary's Baby. Well, yeah. That, <laughs> um, but I was also thinking about, I know that there's some scholarly work on the ways that women in the West have solicited and um, I don't like I think it's okay to say bought the like children Um, Mm -hmm. and from you know other places um, and I think that the I, I know there's some theoretical feminist studies of this um, and the sort of idea of motherhood and labor and the politics of how women um, who are having, they have their own narrative of struggle, right? Like that, that desire to be a mother that we get a very sort of like front page view of in things like, like everyday writing, like blogs mm-hmm. and uh, like mommy blogs and, and like 
Instagram mommy, whatever, um, of like fertility and whatnot and adoption journeys. And then there's sort of this invisible kind of like labor of surrogate, like women who are acting as surrogates, whether by choice or necessity um, Mm -hmm. in, you know, places like India and um, the, the sort of that like labor that they're doing um, because it's cheaper, there are less regulations on it, um, all of these things. And then again, back to that everyday writing version that we get is like, well, here's my baby that I've adopted and I'm such a good person. And I'm not saying that they're not in any way, like, you know, it's complicated, but I guess there's all these questions about labor and motherhood um yeah and and to kind of redirect this oh sorry yeah and how that's been complicated um today like just moving forward from not just the question of like mothers working in the home or and out of the home but to who's birthing your child um yeah and to kind of root this back into like why explore these really complicated urgent pressing issues in a literature class I think there's some really interesting like issues you can bring up with your students in terms of the, the techniques and uh, approaches that authors can take to complicate these issues or, or represent these issues. So like when you were talking about these un, unrepresented labors, I was again thinking about Lisa Coe's The Leavers, which is I'm going to have some spoilers in here to talk about why I included in the class, but it is a novel that starts with a, the son's perspective that when he's 10, his mother, who was an undocumented immigrant from China goes missing. And he's told that the assumption is that she has abandoned him, that she wanted, she had told them that she wanted to start over. They didn't want to move. And so, and then she disappears. And so there's concern that she just decided to do it without them then. And he's placed with a white family who adopts him. And then 10 years later, he's 20. And um, he's told, I know where your mother is. And he, and so it starts these questions of like, well, what happened? But you're, you switch to the woman, the mother's perspective and you find out what happened from her point of view. And a house in Paris, which again, <laughs> deals with issues of adoption, has a similar structure of you start with the son's or uh, with the child's perspective, and then you switch halfway through to the mother's. And we were talking about how this is really effective for starting with that sort of cultural perception of the mother and the idealized mother and, and women who fail to live up to that role. And then you switch to the reality, the lived experience and, um, and how if you start with the mother's perspective, you're too sympathetic to begin with, you're not going to judge her the same way we judge women every day. (laughs) But by starting with the child's perspective, you fall into those judgments of like, why would she do this? Why didn't she do this? And then you're shaken out of it. And so I think you can do like that sort of work with perspective. Also with thinking about modernism, like what they do with free and direct discourse, you could talk about with your students and like subjective 
impressions. And you can also think about like other techniques in general, like what sort of images we associate with mothers. Like obviously if we go back to the beginning of the literature of Madonna, so how are we breaking free of that? How do we respond to that with symbols, images, these like other cultural um, signals. And so I think the literature class really is this fertile ground for breaking down the narratives we have about motherhood and looking to how we can construct new ones. Yeah, absolutely. I was also thinking, I knew that there was a book I, I was thinking about when I went on that, the points about surrogacy, but it's The Farm by Joanne Romas, um, which is, is essentially what, what uh, you think it is. Um, it was <laughs> like, it was published in 2019 and I picked it up at the library and had no idea. Like it just had a, a it looked like something that would interest me. Um, and, but the author wrote it um, when she came across like after coming across a mag magazine advertisement for surrogacy services in India. Um, mm -hmm. And it is not set in India, um, but she is sort of, you know, it's this dystopian world where there are these women that are essentially on a farm where they are like almost factory producing children. Um, and it makes me think about how you could do like a dystopian novel sort of theme with this class, with a class like this, with Atwood mm -hmm. at the farm, um, Bina Shaw's Before She Sleeps. And, and you know, um, we've talked about before that mm -hmm. you don't have to love a book to teach it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting class because I think that also gets to, there's a lot of anxieties that circulate about motherhood. And again, thinking about the mother as symbol, we tend to have her symbolize those anxieties. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you look at this dystopia, it allows us to really investigate what are these cultural anxieties um, that get enveloped in our ideas about motherhood. Oh, um, yeah. I'm thinking too about that idea of like, like anxieties um, and being enveloped of motherhood and then going back to something like uh, Beast of the Southern Wild and environmental anxieties or like sort of about, or anxiety about climate change. And I think yeah. that was for Salvage the Bones and um, Karen Russell's Swamplandia. Cause mm. all of those have these sort of like missing mother figures that have been um, like either like died or, and tragically died. Um, yeah. And, and then, and there's all this tension as well about um, this angry sort of environment that you've miss like abused. Um, and now you kind of have to face the music. And so I want, I, that's interesting to me. Well, yeah. And even thinking if you bring in Handmaid's Tale, cause that would then bring in those discussions too about surrogacy with mm -hmm. like, the environmental impact on labor and production and how you know that gets tied into reproduction the, and labor and the way we talk about population control quote quote mm -hmm. as a way to um see ourselves see ourselves out of climate crisis and that is not a like very popular view but it is a view and it is one that is steeped in this idea of like well those people over there are having too many kids yeah but it's fine for them to have kids if they're doing it for, 
you know, oh, American woman who's rich, right? Um, and that, sorry, now my brain's going in two different directions. So I'm going to throw both of them at you and you can pick which one. So have you read Kurt Vonnegut's Welcome to the Monkey House? No. It, it's about population control and like reproduction. But the other one I was thinking about is these discussions we have about the best interest of the child. Because what you were saying there, like they're having too many kids, but also we want to adopt kids. And, and this question of what's in the best interest of the child and how that gets weaponized because who's deciding what's in the best interest of the child. And that's something my classes, we would discuss about the end of the semester is how these, all the novels we read complicate that question. Mm -hmm. um, and that what's in the best interest of the child when we look from different perspectives, the answer changes. And that's, I think, why a lot of these novels that I'm interested about motherhood do have perspective um, changes. Even like if we look at Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury or uh, As I Lay Dying, right. <laughs> like you have these perspective changes um, because everyone's relationship with the maternal figure is going to be so dependent on their their subjective experiences am i repeat i feel like i'm repeating myself no, I don't think, I don't <laughs> Sorry. okay <laughs> i don't think you're repeating yourself um i also have like so many things now that i'm thinking about this is sort of the dilemma of talking about something we're really passionate about it's like where when do we stop i have so many things to say and i so many things i want you to say oh i do have one more thing i wanted to make sure we brought up Yes, I am really interested in the way motherhood has really started to pervade our thriller horror um, genres lately. Um, with like Bond Girl. Place? Let's talk about the Sorry? Quiet Place. The Quiet Place. Oh, the quiet place. I have not seen the Quiet oh, Place. But I'm aware, but like the Quiet Place, definitely Gone Girl, and those other like kind of related ones. Um, the Babadook, like it real uh, us um Jordan Peele's second movie like it all seems to really be wrapped into this idea of seeing mother motherhood as a horror and but not being able to articulate that like there's a lot of women who do not want to be mothers but we still see that lack of desire to be a mother as monstrous in a woman which obviously it should not be um and really thinking through, I, and I, I haven't spent enough time thinking through the horror that we're seeing in our current cultural environment, because obviously there's previous versions of it, but I think it, it shifts. And so, yeah, I'm just interested in like Gone Girl, like using motherhood as a weapon of like, you won't ever be able to leave me after I trap you with a child or, um, us like I, I'm I need to protect my family and that means hurting your family um or the quiet place of like motherhood puts me at risk yeah yeah I mean so I don't have a lot to add to that because full disclosure uh the horror genre is very scary <laughs> um and but I did watch the quiet place and I enjoyed it and I think you're right that it was like this idea of you know 
you're at risk when you have kids in a zombie apocalypse or that's not zombies it's like aliens or something yeah but oh which kind of goes to wasn't what's the netflix one with sandra bullock that everyone was obsessed oh, with for like a week were they have to be blind or something yeah was oh. something with birds bird uh, bird box right bird box yeah 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 um but same thing of like children are they elevate the stakes which this might be my last point because otherwise I'll talk for another five hours um but I, I in preparing for this episode I was trying to think what do I think is the ultimate text about motherhood that I would want to teach and I keep landing on Nella Larson's passing and I think what I really love about that um is everything I've kind of talked about, like it, it plays with perspective, it plays with structure, it plays with understanding like what is the best interest. Um, but I think a lot of people reading it would not consider it to be a novel about motherhood. They see it as a novel about two women. And I think that's sort of the genius of it because these are two women who are fully fleshed, fully developed characters, each with their own perspective, their own values. It's, it's, a fully fleshed understanding of the world and they're characters who happen to have children in the way that I think fathers are characters who happen to have children mm -hmm. and what's important about this for the novel is how the children raise the stakes you can't um you your world the parameters of your world do shift with children and the novel is interested in in those shifts like you can't just escape and start over you can't resist society in the same ways there's there's physical dangers and and they don't just extend to you um and i don't want to say too much more in case people have not read passing but i do think that that is the text that gives you so much about modern motherhood the way women are judged the way women have to shift their priorities uh, shift understandings of themselves and really reckon with the idealized mother I don't know because we didn't talk about having like a go-to text beforehand so I know this is putting no. you on the spot but do you have one or gosh I mean I I think that I would lean like I said before I think I'd lean really heavily on um Adrian Rich's A Woman Born and I do think that mm -hmm. I would because again I'm gonna I'd take a more contemporary slant and I do think I would do Little Fires Everywhere and talk mm -hmm. about those two right like that sort of idea of I'm going to be the rebellious mom and I'm going to be the perfect mom and how those two narratives are competing in our like culture right now and how we can see that in our pop culture. Um, and I would have to think about like the trajectory of getting to that. Right. So the literary trajectory of getting, um, to this moment where we have those two competing that it's no longer necessarily the good mom the bad mom but it's the rebellious mom and the sort of perfect mom that are both like problematic yeah yeah, yeah. well because an extreme understanding of an individual that erases nuance is going to be dangerous regardless of how like if it's traditional or progressive right 
Exactly. So with that then, Margaret, what's your dream class today? Um, so my dream class today, I don't know if I've talked about this before. I mean, that's our problem now. We're, we're like, what dream courses? <laughs> yeah, what's left? Um, but it's one of looking at adaptations of classical myths of, about women. Mm-hmm. And today I'm particularly thinking about Medea because of our episode. <laughs> um, so obviously the myth of Medea of killing her own children and serving them for dinner. Um, but Krista Wolf has, she's a German writer and she has an adaptation of Medea, which positions her more as this, the center of a transition from a matriarchal society to a patriarchal society. Um, Margaret Atwood wrote the introduction for it. Um, And it's really fascinating. Again, touches on a lot of the topics we talked about today, but there's a lot of other um, adaptations that I think would be really fun to teach in conjunction. Um, Again, with Atwood's the uh, Penelope ad. Um, And I think there's adaptations of, that you could do from around the world responding to this but so I guess that'd be one way to look at kind of the idealized mother um and the idealized evil mother and how we (laughs) those evolve and how we respond to them but how about you what's your dream course okay so I wanted would do something with the southern gothic um Mm. and this idea that like uh, anything like Flannery O'Connor has that that quote about like what comes out of the south is grotesque to the north Mm -hmm. um and I think I would want to talk about like the Southern Gothic and motherhood. And I'm doing the thing where I'm thinking specifically about objectives and not books. So I don't know what my book list would look like. I mean, I do, I think I would, never mind. I'm not going to, I'm just going <laughs> to leave well, it a mystery. Yeah. I, but I would want, um, like, I think I would use Swamplandia, even though we mm-hmm. have a missing mother. Um, and I, and it's not exactly Southern Gothic, but I think that would be one of the later novels. Um, and I would maybe talk about like Desiree's baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but yeah, that, that's the, the gist of it is um, like how, do mothers work in this particular genre? Are there any patterns or, um, and then how do we think about that idea of the grotesque? Do we, like, can we push back on it? What, should we, stuff like that. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's making me think about kind of a Southern literature course, Southern Gothic literature course about mothers would be really interesting for thinking about the techniques writers use to construct race because you know you're responding to a, a culture which at, at the time had very concrete ideas about how race manifests and what it looks like what it what its definition is and so many of those writers were like really complicating that sometimes just by like not discussing it and being like you can't tell yeah. <laughs> but really interesting yeah techniques you could dive into with that I want to take your class I mean you know if I ever teach it to Let's just Zoom teach it, you know, just mm. can't do it. No. You said it on, you said it on the podcast that you have to. 
Is that how this works? <laughs> yeah, everything we say is a blood contract. Yeah, I mean... Ooh, that would be horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, no, everything we say is actually the opposite. We can decide tomorrow that we no, we no longer stand by that. Yeah, so, until tomorrow then? Yeah, until tomorrow. <laughs> Bye. Bye.